morning, everybody. <clears throat> what a beautiful day. I love the, the madness all about <laughs> from doing this tree every year. It's a bit of a, a landmark moment, you know, in the lead up to Christmas. I love it. We actually prayed for a joyful maelstrom of joy, yeah, and, um, and activity and uh, movement here. And the kids bring it every time, you know. It's lovely in those beautiful words of Jesus, unless you become something like a child, you know. And it's really good. Welcome to Family Life Church. We welcome all our, our guests that are here today. We're aware of that. And it's really, really beautiful to have you with us. Um, I'm not the pastor of this church. Um, I'm one of the leaders here. I'm a father of four. Um, adult children. I'm a truck driver these days, but I spent many, many years in graphic design and um, the visual arts um, before doing that. Um, <clears throat> the, my message this morning, I want to give you a full... It's a kind of message I'll invite you... If, if I see you with your eyes closed or you're staring blankly into the middle distance, that's okay because I want you to think back yeah? My message today is about thinking back across your life. It was simply going to be about remembering, but Father has opened it up to far more than that. Okay? Um, and I want to talk about the really, really difficult times in our lives, the tough times, um, the times when we feel quite lost. Yeah? Because we can deeply misread the hour. In those times, we can profoundly misinterpret those times like no other um, time. If you wanted to, uh, you could call this message a collision of um, I work all things for good and I won't give you more than you can bear. Those two verses collide at this point. Yeah, I work all things for the good of those who love me and I will not give you anything beyond which you can bear. Um, that is the point, the epicentre of what I want to speak from. And the only reason that I can get up and speak here about this at all is because of my vast experience in misinterpreting what God is up to, of getting it wrong. Yeah, I'm highly qualified in that area and... Um, and I speak out of that because it is so, so easy to do. Um, I've done it so much. I've got it so wrong. So this is what we do. Um, we tend to try and look at our tough times, these piercingly difficult times, and we try, we look at them through the searing heat of the initial pain, of the moment of impact where actually or in the middle, in the very depth of a season. I'm not just talking about those times in our life which are moments, you know. I'm talking about the seasons. Some of us descend very, very slowly and steadily to deeply dark and difficult places, yeah. And um, what we tend, can tend to do in the searing heat of the moment, the point of impact, or at the very depth of these seasons, is we try... Um, and figure it out right there. Um, but right there we can get it so wrong because our sight is incredibly diminished at that point. We are blinded 
um, to a massive degree, often by the, the depth, the darkness and the pain of it. And we can very easily fly straight through to hate or the hardening of heart, which is a hard place. This hardening of heart. And I reckon it's in the first few hours, particularly with a traumatic event or within the first few days of something difficult hitting us, um, that the nature of the conversations we have or don't have can determine the set of our heart. Say that again, the set of our heart. It can determine the set of our heart for many, many years to come. For some folk, even decades what we take away from that. So that's just by way of introduction. The last few messages that I've brought here, some of them have been quite deep and quite difficult and quite challenging. And I said, I said to Father, I'm, I'm, I just want to bring a message where I can smile and tell stories, you know? Um, so I'm just going to share. I'm just going to share some of my stories as an as another leg into this place. Um, and here, let's let's set the scene here because many years ago, I came across a story about a Scottish, a Scottish discus, a Scottish discus thrower. You know, the discus. That's really hard to say with a Scottish accent. A Scottish discus thrower. Okay, from the 19th century. And he lived in the days before professional trainers and he developed his skills alone in the highlands of Scotland. He was a farming man. And what he did was he made his own discus from a description that he read in a book. What he didn't know was that the competition discus was made of wood but with a metal covering, a skin, yeah? His discus, however, was made of pure metal, solid metal, and was four times heavier than those of his would-be challenges. Yeah? But this committed Scotsman trained day after day after day, labouring under the burden of the extra weight. Yeah? And he marked out the record distance and he kept working until he could throw it that far. Of course... When he arrived at competition, he was handed the official wooden discus, which he promptly threw like a tea saucer out of the park. He set new records, and for many years, none of his competitors could touch him. And a friend of mine at the time was reflecting on this story and working it into his own life, and I heard, you know, saw him write and say, Sir... So that's how you do it. You train under a great burden. Yeah? From my own life, um, uh, I've, it's been really good to reflect on this and look back. Um, and here come my stories. Um, as a young apprentice in a provincial city, not this one, one in Queensland, um, I, I started out my life as a, as, an, as a sign writer back in the brush days, you know, with a stick and a, and a brush writing the letters on walls and vehicles and all sorts of things, uh, pre-computer days really. Um, but that very first um, job was in a very small sign shop with just the boss, the tradesman and me. And from the moment I started, my boss said to me, unless you're doing the job of a tradesman in six months, you'll be out of here. 
which is a great motivating force. He wasn't cruel, but he could be quite unkind. You know, there was a lot of shaming, there was a lot of put-down, there was a lot of threats and things. And it was, a, it was quite a difficult time for my heart. I really wanted a job in this area. I wanted to do something that was visual. It lined up with my gifts and sort of who I am. Um, eventually, after two and a half years of enduring that, and, and quite a lot of fear and trepidation all the time, I transferred my apprenticeship to a large city signwriting shop. I mean, there was 30 or 40 men. But when I arrived there, it made me realise just how far ahead I was. I was, I was working with the tradesmen. There were, there, were, there were men there who had never even formed a letter. Yeah? They were painting backgrounds and erecting signs and digging holes and spray painting things, yeah? And fetching things. And here I was doing more than they could have ever dreamed of. More and better than some of their tradesmen. And I ended up being taken under the wing of the owner and then taught the beautiful art of enormous photographically real illustration on signs, which is what we did before we had giant inkjet printers. Yeah? You, see, you see that there? Uh, 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 10 or 11 years ago, I started truck driving. And whilst my first, my first job was, was a little bit part-time, my very, very first full-time job was with a country firm of truck drivers and farmers out here at Dean. Yeah? And it was, it was another kind of place like that where everybody had to learn to do everything. Where you were put down, where you were shamed, where you were told you were not a real man again and again and again. It was all this masculine competitioning and jostling, you know, for if you're a real truck driver, blah, blah, blah. And, but, but it, you know, I spent 18 months there and I often went home in tears, you know, and many times, you know, a friend of mine who worked there would just ring me up after work and say, don't lose heart, you're a good driver, you're learning an awful lot here. You know, after 18 months I did leave and again I went to a large transport company in the capital city and when I arrived there, <laughs> anyone would think I'd been driving for 30 or 40 years? They thought I'd been driving trucks all my life. You know, many of them had been driving vastly longer than me but had only ever done one little thing or just that. Or just that. Whereas I had all this experience, I'd had to fix my own trucks, etc., etc., etc. And it was just, wow, this really, really hard time of kind of being trained, back to our Scotsman, of being carrying a heavier burden, yeah? Training under a greater burden. Think back over your life. Think back. Yeah? Join the dots. Even um, uh, another part of our life, we have four children. You know, there are some here with six today. And um, we have good friends with more than that again. And uh, it's really interesting. You know, at the time I, when we had our first child, I hadn't even picked up a baby, ever. Hadn't held a little earthlet myself, ever. Yeah? And, and, and the, the baptism of fire that it was to have those four children over six years was huge. I was constantly swimming outside my depth, you know, really learning on the fly, building a plane in the air, you know. There was no pausing, there was no parking it, there was no going into maintenance and learning how, there was no doing a training course, it was just build the thing as it flies, you know. And um, 
And yet that, that great burden, the massive weight of that, what does it leave me with? It leaves me with a, a, a heart for children. You know, I love children. Whereas once they were just strangers, they were from another planet. You know, I love them. I have a heart towards them, an extra capacity with children. I'm, I'm, I'm not signing up for kids' church or, or, or anything like that, but it, 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 the school of that, the training that was in there was huge. Another part of my life, we, my wife and I, we were um, missionaries in Nepal in the early 90s before we had children. Yeah? And in that place, people think, oh, wow, that's so beautiful. Imagine living there. And it's like, just imagine living five or six hundred years ago. The, the ignorance, the darkness, the suffering, the overt occult and practices and manifestations of darkness in that place was so in your face. No one over there, you know, in, in, in the age of reason. Everything happens. Everybody knew what was going on spiritually in the village. They knew what demons were in the temple. They knew what they were doing. They knew what they were up to. Everybody knew. And on certain days, you could feel the atmosphere of the entire country just suffocate everybody. You know? And in that, you think, oh, my gosh, how am I ever going to get out of this alive? You know? Death all around you. Suffering all around you. Hopelessness all around you. Poverty. Debt. Of, of crippling levels, you know, and you go, what, what's the fruit of training, being trained under that great burden? Well, it leaves us with a greater spiritual awareness now. You know, we can see things, we pick up on things, we've been trained in that crucible, and the fruit of that is something life-giving and, and incredible, also, in my family, I was the middle child, the second child, um, and I was always the different one. I was always the more sensitive one. I, I felt like I, people had to account for me more. Everyone else seemed normal and I seemed weird and different and people didn't seem to... They would try, they would try, but they never really seemed to quite get me and I always had this feeling of being the outsider, the stranger, wondered if I'd been adopted at times, that kind of feeling, yeah? Living through that and the subconscious rejection that that brought to the door of my heart is part of my story. Yeah, I've had to contend with that. Um, being treated as weird gives me a sensitivity for others who are being disrespected, for others who aren't being seen for who they truly are, um, for people who are marginalised or sidelined or discounted for who they are and being themselves. Um, we also moved around. Here's another part of training on that heavily. We moved around a lot as a kid. My mother says it was 27 times during our schooling years. Uh, and it, it's, it's a fantastical figure. I, I, I can't quite reconcile. It doesn't feel like that much, but she was the one that was counting, not me. Yeah? And um, what it do, does give, though, the... the, the, the what it did bring out, the fruit in me, gives me a deep appreciation for belonging. There's no surprises that Alison and I and Ali had a very, very similar upbringing, are deeply rooted here. That we understand what it means to belong 
to be part of a community rather than to be a gypsy, an itinerant, always on the move. And the other part that it gave me was an ability to connect with new people, you know, um, a heart for anyone who looked like they were a bit lost on the edge of things, you know, left out because they're new and they've just arrived. It's like, no, 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 I've been there. I know that. I know that space so well. Are you remembering? Put it into your own lives. Think about your own stories, yeah. Um, that's from my life, but then I, I want to draw from... I've asked a few other people over the last few weeks about this kind of thing in their lives, and I've seen it in our beautiful pastor, Andrew. You know, he... It was a terrible time for his first six to eight years here, you know, as the whole church was turned upside down and the vitriol and the hate and the words um, that were spoken vehemently and poisonously against him was massive, a massive burden. Yet I see in him, that deepened in him, this ability to be deeply gracious with people and to love even his enemies. You can't do that without practice. Yeah? And you see this training under this extra, this larger burden. And look at beautiful Mel. Right now she's in the middle of something like this. And who knows the glory and the fruit that is going to come out of that? You know, if she was to misinterpret that early on, it could have gone in a very, very different direction. You know, but now it's swinging towards a beautiful place. It's yet to come. It's now, but not yet. Yeah? But it's there coming for her. It's a beautiful thing as she submits herself to her father. It's beautiful. When you look at Churchill, the great Churchill of Britain, you know, that man... The failure that is our Gallipoli, that was him. That failure, our Gallipoli was his fault. That failure and many, 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 many others. That man was written out of the story. That man was maltrusted. That man was malaligned. He was hated. He was despised. Um, People were wary of him. There was no way he was ever going to get a gig again, ever in that country, and yet look what happened as an old man, much older than me now, you know, he led that country. But all that, that incredible, the weight of that burden, look what it produced, yeah? If he hadn't gone that way, if he hadn't gone through that path and come out here, a beautiful friend of mine who lost two siblings and suddenly found himself an only child... I asked him about that. Well, I asked him about this question. What are some areas of your life? You know, and he said, well, from having trodden that path, it, and he said, that's just one tiny little thing. There's a million more. You know, he said that, that made him really sensitive to when ambulances went by and when emergency vehicles went through. You know, because of the circumstances he lost his siblings in, his heart just leaps out of his chest towards that. He prays into those situations. You don't get that without having walked through here. Yeah? Um, it's there in the Bible characters. You look at Joseph was the first one that came to my mind. Rejected, betrayed. You are nothing by his brothers. Thrown in a pit. Sold away. Forgotten. Left for dead. Hated. Despised. You know, despite the beauty of his life, you know. That, that's rejection plus, 
you know, and then imprisoned and then misunderstood and imprisoned, you know, and accused of things, you know, um, from prison and then eventually a ruler. Now, that's, that's a, you, you can't get there unless you come through here. The same with uh, King David, our beautiful King David, you know. Years and years, 15 years on the run hiding in caves. Mistrusted, maligned, hated, you know, yet anointed even. And, and, and even though he, that great victory that we've been hearing about with Goliath, you know, this is all after that. He's cast aside. He is hounded. He is pursued from on the run to on the throne. You don't get there unless you come through here. Oh, there are many, 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 many more um, examples in life all, all around us. Um, but there's, I just need to actually stop and pause here too before I sort of plunge on. Um, all of this, all of this, and um, whether this works or not, for want of a much better sentence than that, depends on how good we think God is. I just want to highlight right now, if you mistrust God, if you don't think that he is a good father, if you are suspicious of him and wary of his ways with you, none of this will have any traction for you. It's just let the words go by. Forget what I'm saying and work on whether you believe, believe, believe God is good or not. Because that's, that's the tipping point. If, if, you, if you don't believe God is good, you will always be suspicious of what he brings towards you. And you will always mistrust and you will very, very easily misinterpret what is going on. You have to get that, whether God is good or not, settled in your heart once and for all. Yeah? You have to get that grounded. Um, because otherwise, this, this does not mean anything. Yeah? We all have areas in our life, it's like, yes, I believe, I agree with God is good. Yeah, no, I wouldn't disagree. Yeah, but do you believe it? And we see whether people believe it or not when it comes to crunch time. You know, and it, often the words just fall out of their mouth. Oh I, oh, I never seem to get ahead, you know, and things like that. We've, we've, somewhere deep in the mind of our heart, we've decided that God is cannot quite be trusted and that his intent for me is not as pure as I thought. Yeah? To lose trust, to think that God is trying to bring our harm is, is it's, it's, it's a fatal kind of error. We need to get it sorted out and um, switch off from everything I'm saying now and go work on that. I'm going after this in the hope that you might get uh, a glimmer of clarity for your current season. There are people here right now who've just been hit by things, who are barely out of things or who are, who are nosediving. They know they're on the way down. You know, it's, that's a hard thing, you know, um, I did want to warn you that I may cry today. I'm just, God's got me in this place. We've had a very, very special morning. You always do when he gets you up early. It's hard, it's hard to see the big picture when you're in the middle of it all, yeah? 
Or the other thing, the other reason I'm going after this is in the hope that you might begin to reinterpret a season in your life from before. You know, look at the fruit that came out. Look what you have now that there's no way you could have got. You know, there are seasons where I've been very aware that all God wanted to get out of me was a deeper level of trust. There were seasons where I was completely on my own, in my truck, for year after year, I'm on my own. And I'm like, how can I do that when I love being around people so much? And yet his work, what he wanted to do there, and beautiful Ryan McKenna had the word for it in the middle of it all. He said, God wants you to himself so he can go deeper. And that's what it was all about. And yet, for a couple of years, I really didn't have a clue. I'm like, wow, I'm getting really good at my own company. What's that about? You know, am I going to be the last man on earth? You know, is, is, you know I, had, I didn't... I, I could see, but very dimly. You know, what is this about? Um, yeah, because in, in all reality, sometimes we have to admit that we've missed the point. We've missed the lesson in it all. And the encouragement is that God is very patient with us, like a parent. This is all parenting. This is good parenting, right? A parent waits. If, if a child misses it, we are lovingly cunning in the background to hope and try, not scheme, but to hope and try and, and bring the setup again, you know, so that they get to go through it again. We watch you know, if we can do that to our kids, how much more beautifully can Father do that to us? That's, that's where it's at, yeah? Because we have missed the point. We have not always seen the lesson because the pain has been so great. And we flicked too quickly to regret or sadness or unforgiveness or even revenge and rage, if we're honest, yeah? So... Which is why it's always a brave and surprising move and it is the hardest thing to do when you are flying down that slope but it is the most brave and surprising move to actually ask Father in the middle of it, what do you have in this for me? And it, it sounds really easy to say, I have found it to actually do. To, it goes against every grain. The forces of gravity are taking me this way and, I am, and I'm forcing myself to ask a question which points that way. Yeah? And I don't want to trust. I want to believe that, that I am just gone. Believe the messages of the wound, the arrows that are hitting all around me. It's so tempting to believe them. What do you have in this for me, Father? Because it's a proclamation of he is good. Because what God has for us in it is rarely what everyone else around us is saying. Yeah? You with me? Are people with me here? Am I, am I making sense? Yeah? Because the people around us will say, ah, oh, man, you need to take that person down. You need to report them. You need to take them to court. You know, you need to get them sacked or fired or disciplined. They need to be humiliated, you know. Um, they need to be taught a real lesson. 
That's very often the message around us, you know, and the temptation, it feels like so right, that sense of justice. But that approach only puts us in a prosecutory position to prosecute, yeah? And then you are in a fight that could keep you distracted for decades, yeah? Justice isn't always the answer we think it's going to be. That said, here's a little bit of gold, that said, sometimes what Father is up to with you is to train you how to fight. That is one of his many lessons. I've had times where he had to teach me how to fight and how he wanted me to fight. For many years in, 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 in prayer times and things like that, I kept getting this uh, word over me of um, the people just go, I just see a commando. And this word kept come popping up here and there, a commando, you know, sort of thing, this SAS kind of secretive ops kind of thing. And, and at first I was like, what the? You know, but God just slowly trained me in the art of disappearing and then popping up in the middle of the firefight like no one had even seen me coming. Boom, 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 gone. And I'm like, how did that happen? Beautiful, you know. Um, Father does want to teach us how to fight. That's a little bit of an aside. Because um, you have to know what the Father is up to. All of us need to learn to wield our superpower, our gifts, our strength. That's what every superhero movie that we have on our planet is about. It's actually our story of learning to work with our glory within the frame of humanity. Yeah? That's our story. That's why it, that's why it, it connects yeah? um, with us. Right. So none of this is wasted. Um, and we need to believe that. The Father is good. This is good parenting. And I would say that even if people are merely drawn to you because you have been through the same experience as them, even that is worth it. Yeah? If that is the only fruit, and it very rarely is, um, even that is worth it. That people see somebody and go, they get me. They get where I am. They know where I've been. Yeah? Um, and a, a person who's been through, and it's often not even a verbal thing, people will just pick it up. People will sense it, yeah? And I've got a little... A father just asked me to put something... This is for someone, this next little bit. This is for someone, either somebody listening at home or somebody here. And I want to read it out because I've chosen my words carefully and just worked off what father kind of downloaded to my heart. But this is for someone, okay? Um... For this person, people have been drawn to you because of your story, because your pain looks remarkably like theirs. And in the quest to find meaning and significance in your own heart, your own battered heart, you have bought into being a rescuer, the rescuer, yeah? You have interpreted your own trauma as a green light to help everybody else. Yeah? 
And that's where you are stuck. And whenever you are there, there is very little space or scope for your own healing. Hear me. Yeah? And you rescue everyone and yet paradoxically remain deeply unwhole within yourself. That's it there. That's for somebody. And some wisdom here. When you do go after somebody in their pain, in the moment or in the days or weeks after something hits them nearby, and I'm not talking about, when I say going after someone, I'm not talking about dropping in with a casserole and a cup of tea for a bit of a chat. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where you journey deeply and intimately and closely with someone into the epicentre of their pain or their moment or their season, yeah? When you go there, it needs to come out of a place of healing, yeah? And not just a place of sympathy. Sympathy is needed to go in there. Empathy is needed to go in there. Compassion is needed to go in there. But they alone don't bring the healing, yeah? Especially if they veer towards a plane of, a place of you just affirming their pain and they affirm yours yeah if it gets there and stays there you're both bogged you're both stuck yeah at least you've got some company now but you're both bogged yeah um you need to know a way out that's why i exhort you to let it come out of healing or watch how far, be careful then of how, or be careful of how far in you go, you know. You need to know where, you need to know where the exits are, or you need to have a map, or you need to know where somebody is that has been out the other side, yeah. Otherwise you're bogged there in the marshes as well. So, in concluding, it's nearly done. We have healers here. We have healers in our midst. God heals in this place. God heals people when we just sing. God heals people when we just come in. God heals people when they walk in the building. I spent the first eight months in this house bawling my eyes out for no reason. I didn't know what was going on. Just weeping. And that's not the only time that has happened. You know, so God has a heart to heal for some strange reason. And this bit of ground... I don't know what it is, whether he's honouring the fathers, the forefathers who started this, where the oldest church, the only one that still is where it started, right near the diggings. Eh? There's something special here. And God is pleased when we go after sight for the blind. He's always pleased when we, when we bring, you know, when we bind up the brokenhearted. And that's us too. It's not just the world out there. It's us as well. Um, we have healers here. Um, ask Papa to lead you to them. You know, we have counsellors in town. There are psychologists in town. And you might go, well, there's not many Christian ones. I don't know if one of those people very often, whether they're Christian or not, have an incredible gift. You cannot keep doing that craft, you know, unless people sense something in, in you, you know. And, and God is pleased to put these things in all of us. All his children, you know, step towards them. Pay some money. I've got a couple of mates who are psychologists, and I was talking to one recently. 
he, I'm, I'm spending some time with him. I'm working on something that God has highlighted in me. You know, and, and he said, oh, look, I'm sorry, the, you know, the bill might be a little bit... You get a, he said, you get a ministry discount. I'm like, I don't care how much I've got to pay. And he went, oh, that's different. <laughs> you know, and I said, no, I learned a long time ago, if I throw money at something, I treat it completely different. If I get something for free, it has a whole lot less value. If I pay, even what little I have, I own it differently. I walk in it differently and God seems to bless it differently. You know, I have invested in my heart. I've invested in my wholeness. You know, and then it's a completely different setup between you and any healer that stands in front of you. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Money does something. It's not the source of it all. Back to our beautiful Scotsman. I do, I do just love this story. That he made something four times heavier. You know, and he learned to throw it. And it, it, it's not, God is not mean-spirited when, when this happens in our, life, in our life. It feels like it is, but he is not mean-spirited. Our God is good and perfect and beautiful and holy and pristine and to be loved, the author of all these beautiful things. Oh, come on. Um, I just, can we bring this, stand with me, stand, because there's something in standing. Father, we stand before you. Jesus, <laughs> we do, we, we invite you, we invite you to show, to shine your light. You are the light of the world, and I speak that light and that illumination over every single heart in this building. Um, and listening wherever they are. Jesus, would you illuminate? Would you help us see where you have been training us as a kind, kind Father? Would you show, would you speak to us in the hours, days, weeks ahead, in those beautiful, quiet moments with you? Um, would you show us where you have been working and what you delight to bring? And, Father, for those times that we have misinterpreted the harsh seasons, Jesus, would you shine back into there? We invite you back into there to help us re-navigate, re re-see, to see again what was going on, to, to find, to value, to cherish and to notice the fruit and the strength and the good and beautiful things in our lives. Because you who started a beautiful work in us always is bringing it to a point of glory and completion. It's a beautiful promise of yours. You know, I will work all things for your good. I speak that over you, you know, and I will not give you anything that you cannot bear, though it may feel that way at the time. Words of Jesus, words of Jesus, Spirit of God, words of Jesus over your heart, over the barren, hurting place that locusts seem to have eaten. Yeah, Jesus, we speak your sovereignty over our lives. We welcome your sovereignty over our lives and we ask that you would heal us and bring us another step towards being whole. Amen? Beautiful. There it is. Thank you. All right.